Now, the Ohio Attorney General, not many people know this, but we do, is suing President Obama and the administration over the COVID Relief Act. So in the COVID Relief Act, they have money earmarked for the states. And in Ohio's case, I think it's $315 million, $350 million uh, going to Ohio. But if Ohio takes the federal money, Ohio cannot cut taxes and put that federal money in the budget. So that's the rule, the string attached to the federal money. And the attorney general of Ohio says, you can't do that. You can't tell the state governments what it can do tax-wise. So they're suing them. And that'll never be reported. They may win. Ohio may win. Um, But I thought that was an interesting aside. So we also know that the Biden administration is getting ready to roll out at least $3 trillion in new spending. So in my math, I do $2 trillion on COVID relief, $3 trillion on new spending, infrastructure spending. It's $5 trillion of new spending. The government doesn't have the money. It owes about $30 trillion. Doesn't have, can't even come close to funding COVID or this new spending bill. So before I tell you why the Democrats are doing this, I'm going to tell you what some of the stuff is in the bill. So it focuses on investments in clean energy. So the federal government would make the investments, not the private sector. And then it has uh, a goal of one million affordable and energy efficient housing units in this three trillion. Uh, That means it's going to build housing for Americans who don't have a lot of money. And then it has 5G, telecommunications, rural broadband, whatever it may be. Universal pre-K, free community college, expanded child care payments from the government, paid family leave, child tax credits, health care subsidies, free and reduced tuition at historically black colleges and universities, but not whites. So this is what the three trillion go to. So what this is, is the usual, all right? Democratic Party giving money directly to favored groups. That's equity. And this is the three trillion. But everybody pays for this. All taxpayers pay. Now, as I said, the government doesn't have the money. It's not going to get the money through the current system of taxation. That's to raise taxes. And this justifies it. So, American people, we're going to give you everything free coming down the road. And that's going to include health care, housing, food, uh, everything. Minding your kids, paying for your kids' college education, all going to be free. All right. But anybody who makes a good living is going to have to pay 50, 60 percent of their income in order to make that affordable. This is socialism. All right. So I don't know if Joe Biden even understands what this is, but this is the goal to turn the federal government into the economic engine. The federal government will tell all the corporations like mine how much we can have. Now, that means that when they take more money from my corporation, I can't hire as many people. Right. And that'll be, of course, big time in the big corporations. Mine are little. Then the incentive for me to work, you know, at my point in life 
if you're going to take 60% of every dollar I earn, which combine New York State and feds, I don't know how much longer I'm going to give you 60%. This is going to drive the economy down. So socialism is the goal, but what would really happen if all this stuff is passed, and it may not be, Republicans aren't going to vote for this. Can they block it? Maybe. But what's going to happen if, any, if this is passed, the economy is going to collapse. Does Joe Biden know that? I don't think so. I, I mean, with all due respect to the office of the presidency, I don't think Joe Biden knows much about anything at this point in his life. Could be wrong. All right. Now, there are two people pulling Mr. Biden's strings. You need to get to know them. The first one is Susan Rice. You know her, the former ambassador who is the Benghazi star and told the world, hey, this wasn't a planned terror attack on the U.S. ambassador in Libya. Uh, this was uh, ignited by a video. It turned out to be not true. Ms. Rice never apologized. She was uh, the point person for President Obama on these matters. She's a foreign affairs expert. Expert. Well, now she's a top domestic advisor for Joe Biden. Okay, she's buddies with Michelle and Barack Obama. Very close. Now, in the four years she was out of government, somehow Susan Rice increased her wealth, personal worth, okay, um, four times. So she's now worth according to her own filing that happened on Saturday. Did you hear about it? No, you didn't. And you won't hear about it except here, which is why you're watching and listening. So Susan Rice says she's worth between 36 and $149 million. Whoa, this is a public servant. She didn't inherit the money. Where'd she get it? Well, under Donald Trump, she made a fortune in the stock market. Okay? So she's increased her personal worth four times under Donald Trump. But here's the kicker. She has stocks in all kinds of big companies like Johnson Johnson, Apple, Microsoft. She plays the market. But she also has $5 million in holdings in the Canadian natural gas company Enbridge. Natural Gas Company, Canada. Is that the Green New Deal? Oh, no, it isn't. That's a fossil fuel company, Enbridge. Now, $5 million worth. So the Wall Street Journal was the only news outlet I saw that even mentioned this Susan Rice Ron Klain um, personal finance release. They didn't mention the Wall Street Journal, the Enbridge thing. They knew it. They knew it. Didn't put it in the article. The article is tiny. So you tell me. Now, the Wall Street Journal editorial page is an honest page. Their hard news coverage? No. But at least they ran the article. The others didn't. So Susan Rice made a bloody fortune under Donald Trump's economy by investing in a Canadian energy company called Enbridge. Ron Klain is the chief of staff for Joe Biden. He was chief of staff 
when Mr. Biden was vice president. So he uh, made a lot of money under the Trump economy, too. He got paid two million dollars a year, two million dollars a year for working for a company called Revolution. Now, Mr. Klain is worth about twelve million dollars. All right. Overall. So he made two million dollars a year out of government working for Revolution. What's Revolution? Well, it invests in high growth consumer companies, tech companies, health companies and real estate and hospitality. It's a capitalism thing. They are basically funding companies, buying equity in companies they feel are going to make a lot of money. And Ron Klain made two million a year. That's eight million. Under Trump. When employment was full and Ron Klain had a good job. Now, these are the people that are driving the socialist stuff, Rice and Klain, because they have theirs already. They got it. 146 million, Susan Rice. Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Oh. Thought you'd like to know. All right, let's go to racism. So I wrote a column called... Um, Creating Racism. It's on BillOReilly.com. It's getting a lot, of, a lot of buzz. And I'm going to read you a few paragraphs of the column. And then I asked to get a very smart guy, an African-American guy who's an ex-vet, you know, not somebody with a race-hustling background. I wanted to get a reaction. And I think it'll be a good discussion. That's coming up in a minute. First, let me quote from the column. According to documents obtained by journalist A.P. Dillon, Teachers in North Carolina are being instructed that white cultural values include denial, fear, blame, control, punishment, and one-dimensional thinking. Of course, any group could have elements that embrace those things, but for the Wake North Carolina schools, it's exclusively a white problem. In one teaching session, the argument was made that whiteness perpetuates the American system of injustice. Therefore, teachers should challenge the dominant ideology of whiteness and actually disrupt white culture in the classroom. This incredibly racist point of view is not just on display among the woke in Wake County, North Carolina. It has taken root all over the country. The race hustlers who peddle this pernicious propaganda also advise teachers to disrupt any parent who might object to having his or her child brainwashed. 
You can't let parents deter you from the work. City Journal quotes an instructor. This is where the, the original reporting started in City Journal. White children are benefiting from the system. This is simply horrible. Young children being taught skin color dictates their lives. Talk about creating division and bitterness. So that's part of my column. And let's bring in now Rob Smith. He is a senior contributor to Turning Point USA. He's the author of the book, Always a Soldier. Okay, Rob, you were kind enough to read the column. Uh, Give me your impressions of it. Well, I, I thought it was dead on. And when I was reading the article, what really struck me is how these uh, these teachers that are supposed to be teaching children first don't really seem to be very interested in that. And so I, I pulled a few statistics about what's actually going on with the education system nowadays. Now, this is according to the National Assessment of Educational Progress, uh, and this is from this past October, just 37% of 12th graders um, are basically math and reading proficient enough uh, to be prepared for the college courses. And your, uh, your article talked about North Carolina. In North Carolina, just 14% of eighth graders in public schools were proficient in reading. This is also from the National Assessment of Educational Progress. Um, so what's going on right here is we have a lot of activist teachers um, that are bringing critical race theory claptrap into the schools, and they're not doing their jobs, which is to educate these children first. And as somebody that went to a public school, as somebody that is a, a fierce advocate for school choice, it makes me feel very concerned for the direction that this is all going in, because not only are these kids not being educated, they're also being indoctrinated into critical race theory and into um, hating white people, into thinking that racism is the biggest issue that they're gonna face in society. And I really fear that this is going to have a detrimental effect on how these kids can operate in the world, you know, post, uh, post high school. Well, it already has. Um, you know, as a former high school teacher, I know you have to motivate children to learn. They're not going to just come in and go, oh, I want to know all about history and geography and civics and uh, accounting. Uh, they don't do that. You have to motivate them to learn. So now what these woke teachers are doing is giving children an excuse to fail. Oh, it's rigged mm-hmm. against me. The white people have everything. I'm not white, so therefore I can't succeed no matter what I do. It's a built-in failure. It's a victimization. So the public school system in America is basically creating uh, a victim class um, that when they don't do well, for whatever reason, they go, oh, no, 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 it's not my fault. I didn't study or turn in my homework. It's because the white people are oppressing me. And that is a real danger. Yeah, absolutely, Bill. And you know what? Uh, it's really good that you brought that up because when you even look at what's going on in, in the New York City public school system, now there's all this conversation about, well, just fundamentally math, that math is racist. Um, there's uh, all this conversation about tweaking the standards for certain standardized tests because African-American students are, are scoring lower. So that must be because, you know, learning is now racist and, and all of this stuff has something to do with racism. Um, I, I think that it just is, like I said, it's very detrimental. It's not helping these African-American kids. And what we like to call it is this is the soft bigotry of low expectations. And I have to point out the fact that these are mostly white liberals that are doing this, right? So, so these are not evil uh, conservatives But there's or no like pushback. Um, there's not much pushback from the African-American community, see? That's where I say you have to start. 
So if the African-American community would rise up against this phony public school point of view and say, no, we want the basic academics taught on a level to everybody, this would stop. It's the same thing in Chicago. If the people in the poor neighborhoods where hundreds and thousands of people are being shot would go out and demonstrate like they did after the shooting in Minneapolis, if they would do that, Mm -hmm. then maybe something would happen. Now, I have a personal question for you. How did you avoid, when you were a kid, being put into that victim category? Well, I mean, honestly, to tell you the truth, you know, I, I went to failing public schools as well. It, it was a different era, you know, when I, when I was growing up. I had good teachers that, that motivated me. But also, like I said, I, I think that the biggest motivator in my life um, was the discipline that I got from being in the military. You know, like I said, I talk about it uh, in, in Always a Soldier right there. And I think that that is the key. And I think that for a lot of these kids, um, you're absolutely right that there are more parents that need to be involved and there are more people that need to be speaking up. But you have to understand also that in these failing public school systems, and I always think back to New York City because that's where I lived for 12 years. And, you know, you see these kids on the subways, you see these kids on the streets every single day after school. These these uh, schools are operating as little more than glorified babysitters for these kids who aren't really learning much. And the only thing that is the difference between the kids who are not learning and the kids who are learning and don't go through life with that mentality is at least one active involved parent, preferably two. Um, and I think that in, when I look back to my life, uh, I grew up in a single parent household, but my mother was very, it was actively involved in my life. She always pushed forward that education is important. And I think that that's another element uh, that, that we're not really seeing here sure, with a lot parental, of these parents getting involved. The parents have more to do with education than any teacher will ever have. Yeah. <clears throat> Final question for you, Rob. Um, there is a tremendous amount of bitterness within the African-American community, generally speaking, toward the American system. Now, I don't know what the percentage is, but I see the polling and I hear people like LeBron James and the professional athletes that so many children look up to, badmouth in their country all day long, kneeling, not respecting uh, the structure and the traditions of America. That's reality. So the combination of poor teaching, creating a victim mentality among students who need to be motivated, not told they're victims, And what these kids see um, among the athletes and movie stars and things like that, the rappers, um, it's almost overwhelming for an African-American kid, is it not? You know, it's very overwhelming. I think that there's a lot of sense among black people in this country right now. And, And like you said, this is aided by media propaganda, by entertainers, by celebrities, by athletes, rappers, whatever. So there's a sense that the American dream is somehow not available to African-Americans. And the hypocrisy of this is actually crazy because you would hear somebody like LeBron James pushing out this messaging, but LeBron James has become fabulously wealthy because he has a skill and a talent, and he was able to do that via the American system and via capitalism. And that's the, the thing and the hypocrisy that nobody seems to point out. I think that in order to let uh, Black Americans, but, but 
any other quote unquote marginalized Americans realize that the American dream is for them as well. We just need to start speaking up about it. There need to be more voices like mine. I think uh, more voices, particularly on our side of the aisle, um, from people that don't come from the typical background, but learn that conservative values actually do work, learn that loving America actually does work, and learn that the American dream and capitalism and all of that stuff really is for Black people, too. We need to start getting that messaging out there a little bit more. And I think that this is, you know, this is a good, uh, yeah, good way to start. If, if you do get that message out, you're going to be canceled. You'll be attacked. You'll be branded a bigot if you are my skin color. Be hard to yeah. brand you a bigot, but I mean. Oh, well, they, if they I, still if do, I, honestly. Yeah, I, I understand. But, but white Americans who want black Americans to prosper, and I really believe that's most Caucasians. They're afraid, Rob. They're afraid. Mm -hmm. The cancel culture has devastated robust debate, honest exchange of ideas, because you're branded immediately. You know it. You see it. Of Anybody course. on television or radio speaks out, you're a bigot. I mean, I don't care what you're saying. They want to destroy you if they being the progressive far left who's imposing all this woke nonsense and harming children beyond any measure. Last word for you. Well, look, you know what? Uh, I, I always believe in America. I always believe in the opportunity for Americans to thrive and survive. And so I think that honestly, I mean, me, myself, personally, I, I like to call myself uncancelable, but we have to kind of start beating down through this cancel culture. And I really do think, honestly, and, and I've been sort of kind of teased a little bit for being a little bit too optimistic about this, but I really feel like we're seeing uh, we're turning a corner on this cancel culture because now this cancel culture that the left has created is now starting to affect them. And I think that as long as we as conservatives or we as free thinkers, independents, whatever you want to call it, as long as we continue to exchange in this, this open ideas and these open debates, I think that, that we'll, we'll be okay. I hope so, Rob. Um, I share the hope that you have, but I think the fight is even going to get nastier. But I think the corner, at least I can see it. But I could be wrong. Rob Smith, author of Always a Soldier. I uh, recommend you guys check that book out. I think you will like it. And Rob, we'll talk again soon, I hope. Thanks for taking the time. All right. Thanks a lot, Bill. Okay. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. So what is the state of President Biden policy-wise and the state of him as a man? Let's bring in David Petruya. He is a... Uh, presidential historian. He's written more than three dozen books all over the place. He got LBJ book, JFK, Nixon, Harry Truman, Theodore Roosevelt. So uh, David knows his stuff on the presidents. You're a nonpartisan guy, right? Uh, I play it down the middle. A lot of my okay. readers say that, yes. That's what I asked my producers to book. I didn't want anybody who loves Biden or hates him. So he's been in office two months. 
And now we have a border crisis and gas prices rising every day, which is, you know, inadvertently a tax on all working Americans. Maybe he did or has done some good things that I don't know about, David, but how would you assess his presidency after two months? Well, obviously, I give him an incomplete, but it's a bad incomplete. You know, the Democrats focus on the first 100 days and his first 100 days were the first 100 executive orders, not getting much, if anything, done through Congress. None of the executive orders really doing anything to improve the lot of the American people. And as you pointed out so well, the border is just not a border anymore. It was <laughs> resembling a border for four years, but not anymore. So, and, you know, he's he's a little like the, the previous occupant of the White House. Comes in very narrowly, a very combative guy, and neither Trump nor Biden has done anything to increase their uh, majority or plurality or their popularity in, in any way, shape, or form. They, they play to their base, and that's that's a dangerous game when, in the case of Biden, you won by, you know, in a handful of states, by 43,000 votes. Okay, I agree with you that both uh, President Trump and President Biden play to their base, but Biden promised not to do that, whereas Trump, that's right. all day long, you knew he was going to come in and, you know, with uh, scorched earth. But Biden said, oh, no, trust me, I'm going to bring the nation together. I mean, he said that many, many times. Did he lie? Yes, I think you have to say that. Okay. And with the with the liberal, radical, progressive base now of the Democratic Party, he really is is stuck. If he wanted to move to the middle, it would be a very dangerous game for him to, to play there. And it would be a very dangerous game with the very narrow majority in the House of Representatives and the non-majority in the Senate. So he's kind I don't of know how he moves. eggshells, but yeah, he's, I don't he's know not how a he moves. guy. I don't think he can move center now. He's committed to no. the progressives. Um, uh, but I said there are three things going to bring him down. By bring him down, I mean that Republicans win the Senate and the House in 2022. All right. And that's coming up fast. The first is the border. And we're seeing that now. I don't know how he solves that problem. I don't think he can solve the problem. It's going to get worse. The second is the economy. So we should have a surge in the economy after COVID up until mm, October, November. But if he passes the big tax hikes on corporations and individuals, that's going to kick in. Jobs are going to be lost and the economy is going to start to wobble. And the third is this cancel culture business, which is totally out of control. And now we're getting anger. I mean, anger by uh, many, many independent Americans. They don't like this. They know what it is. It's a witch hunt and it's the progressives driving it. So those are three things. But Joe Biden himself does not seem to me to be on his game to use a cliche. I don't think Joe Biden knows the unintended consequences of what he's doing. Because surely, if he knew that there was going to be a catastrophe on the border in two months, would he still have done these crazy things like saying, well, yeah, we're going to pay for all your health care. Well, yeah, you can stay here as long as you want asking for asylum. Would he have done that if he knew this was going to happen to him? 
I think he, like you say, he is trapped and the people below him or around him who are making the decisions are now so ideologically driven that, that they have no choice to, except to do these policies which have no basis in reality and which, you know, never examine the second or third or the fourth effect after what they do. So it's it's all for soundbite. It's all for the tweet. And, and in terms of the greater ramifications for the nation or even for their own party or their political future, you know, the, the brain process stops pretty quick, whether you've got dementia or not. Do you think he's impaired, Joe Biden? I think he's, as you say, not at the top of his game. He's getting older. He's lost many a step. And of course, Joe Biden... You know, what you're seeing now with the combativeness, when, with the gaffes, I mean, this is, this is all the original Biden. So you're merely seeing an acceleration of, of the process. But whether he is impaired or controlled by someone, I think you would get the same effect in terms of policy as you're getting right now. The bigger problem is not Joe Biden. The long-term problem is not Joe Biden. The bigger problem is the radicalization of, of the Democratic Party and this woke culture, this cancel culture, this politically correct uh, culture, which is just putting the, uh, a strangulation around free speech and free thought. Absolutely. Absolutely. But Biden himself is going to have a press conference, they say, Thursday. Um, that will be interesting to see if he can parry the press. It's not going to be like a Trump press conference. They're not going to be trying to make uh, Biden look bad, but they have to ask tough questions about the border. They should ask the gas prices as well. David, thanks very much. We appreciate it. Uh, very uh, nice interview. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine, enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ten best states in America. How about those? You know what they are? I didn't. All right, so uh, U.S. News and World Report, a bankrupt magazine, <laughs> does this every year. Annual ranking of all 50 states, the 10 best, based on health care, education, economy, infrastructure, opportunity, fiscal stability, crime and corrections, natural environment. Okay? Ready? All right, here are the 10 best. The best state in the union is Washington State, according to U.S. News and World Report. What you don't know about Washington State is it's two states. All right, it's the eastern part, which is traditional and runs very well, and people have a very high quality of life. And then western part, which is Seattle and Olympia and the peninsula up there, which is absolute chaos. But you can live well in Washington State if you can take the rain. All right, the second one is Minnesota. Again, their major city, Minneapolis, is burnt down. You can live well in Minnesota if you can take the cold. It is freezing there. Okay? Uh, Utah, third. I, I've been to Utah, but I don't know much about the infrastructure there. 
It is a rural state primarily. Salt Lake City is not a major hub. Got a basketball team, but you move to Utah, you got to like the outdoors. Same thing in New Hampshire. New Hampshire is a rural state. I know New Hampshire very well, very nice place to live, but it's cold. Idaho, same situation. Outdoor state, easy to live there, traditional state. Then Nebraska. Nebraska is a divided state, but there's opportunity in Nebraska. You can make money in Nebraska, all right? It's um, got a good lifestyle. Virginia, going deep blue now in Virginia, deep blue. Um, I like Virginia. Commonwealth has got a lot of, got the mountains, got the ocean, although not beaches in the Tidewater area. Wisconsin, um, again, Wisconsin is a two states, traditional rural, very far left, urban. Massachusetts, listen, my home was in Massachusetts. I loved it there. I loved it there. But that's Elizabeth Warren. Okay, so the politics are crazy. But Massachusetts got everything. And uh, Florida is 10. Florida is on the ascent. But you got to take the heat. You know, five months of the year, it's hot. It never cools down. So those are the 10. Tomorrow we'll give you the 10 worst states, according to U.S. News and World Report. So, Disney, I want to go back to this. We've, we've reported it before, but it's so uh, jarring because everybody knows these vehicles. So, Disney is putting out a con. You got to know this. Now, Disney is a real troubled company. I mean, it really is, if you examine it. So they say that um, two of their main properties, Dumbo, the elephant, and Peter Pan, beloved by kids everywhere in the world, can no longer be accessed by children under seven because of the cancel culture. Now, my question to Disney is what kid under seven accesses anything. See, if you use an adult account, and how Disney would know, I don't know, you can access Dumbo and Peter Pan. You have to pay them. Though Disney's not cutting, because the seven-year-old's not paying them. So this is a con. But the Disney uh, noble people, the executives, this is Iger and all these people, they wanted to get it out. to the. We know there was racism and, uh, you know, questionable things in our product. Now, there was racism in Dumbo. There was. One of the main characters is Jim Crow. Come on. My thing is, edit it out. Okay? You, if you make movies in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, you're going to have stuff like this. Snip it. But no, no, they want a virtue signal. Now, Peter Pan, apparently the problem with Peter Pan is that it portrays Native Americans in a stereotypical manner. That's Tiger Lily. I always thought Tiger Lily was a good role model for girls. She was Peter Pan's ally against the evil Captain Hook, who was a white guy. I like Tiger Lily. What? But no, no, no. Because Tiger Lily did Indian things. That's very typical. So if you're seven, you can't order up Peter Pan. But your dad and mom can and pay the 10 bucks or whatever they want. Oh. All right, here's the story of the day. Ready for the story of the day? Okay. So Piers Morgan quits his show in Great Britain. He's co-hosting the morning show. 
because he slammed Meghan Markle and people didn't like it or what. I don't even know Piers Morgan. I mean, I think I met him once, but I don't even remember. Anyway, he's gone. Gone. He walks off his show and they don't want him back and he's gone. So The View, of course, talks about this and my name comes up. Roll it. Before I even start that, I want to clear up that you and I walked off the set because Bill O'Reilly said something extraordinarily bigoted, and we did not want to sit there with him. The situation is completely different here, so let's just be clear. Um, I was making a joke. Sorry, my bad. No, no, it wasn't that. I just want to make sure everybody understands. Everybody understands that you're a radical loon. That's what everybody understands. I didn't make any bigoted statement. I didn't do anything like that. All right, this was in the year 2010. An imam in New York City wanted to build a mosque on the site of the Twin Towers, okay? I said, quite rationally and correctly, that was inappropriate, all right? I said, you don't build a Benihana at Pearl Harbor. It's not the right thing to do. But if the imam wants to build a mosque two blocks away, I will help the imam build the mosque, but not on the site of the attack on 9-11. So I went on The View, and here's what happened. Go. And let me break this to you. 70% of Americans don't want that mosque down there, so don't give me the wee business. You want to bet on that? You want to bet? I'll show you that poll in a minute. Muslims didn't kill us on 9-11? Is that what you're saying? Excuse me, extremists. What religion were they in? What religion was Mr. McVeigh? Mr. McVeigh was an extremist as well, and he killed people. 70% of the country. Okay, and uh, Piers Morgan, I think, was back in the green. No, it's a joke. All right, so my thesis was that Muslims, terrorists, the jihadists, the Al-Qaeda's, all practitioners of Islam killed 3,000 Americans on 9-11. Is that not true, historically? And that's why it's inappropriate to build a mosque on the site of the Twin Towers, just as... Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, killing hundreds of U.S. naval personnel and civilians. And that's why you don't build a Japanese restaurant there. Is this crazy stuff? All right. Now, that was way before the cancel culture was even thought of. But the fact that yesterday, Ms. Behar, who remains in my prayers said that I made an extraordinarily bigoted statement. My statement was absolutely 100% true. But because she's a loon, she can believe what she wants to believe and walk off. And you know, that was the greatest thing that she walked off. I love that because I got more airtime and I have to deal with it. Okay.
I got some mail and a good final thought. Back in a moment. All right, let's go to the mail. Norman Reinwald. Do you believe President Biden should be impeached, even though Democrats won't do it? For what? You know, I mean, President Biden hasn't done any high crime or misdemeanor. He's not enforcing border law. Okay, but that's not a crime, unfortunately. I mean, I think he should have to, but you can't charge him with anything. So, no, I think that would be a travesty. Thomas Roy, Atkinson, New Hampshire. Why do you say Joe Biden does not know he's lying? He's in decline, but he's not impaired enough to believe that Trump let children starve. My point is this. He just reads stuff. He just reads it. Um, He doesn't know what he's reading, in my opinion. Zaina Connor, Trivoli, Illinois. Would you please explain the difference between an executive order and the law? Zena, executive order applies to federal property, federal jurisdiction. So president can't just write a law. I want to outlaw Tylenol. Can't do that. But in anything that has to do with property or jurisdiction, a president can write an executive order. Okay. Lucy Spencer, Sandusky, Ohio. Bill, is there a reason the states of Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona cannot build their own border wall? Yes, because the border is the sole exclusive territory of the federal government. That's why Biden was able to shut down the XL pipeline, because it went through federal land. And he stopped drilling for oil on federal land, but he couldn't stop companies from drilling for oil in Midland, Texas. Can't do that. So... The borders are the subject of the federal government, and the states cannot intrude. James Liddick, Gatesville, Texas. I normally agree with you at 99%, Bill, but today you said the cruise industry should require a COVID vaccine card to take a cruise. I disagree. Okay, I mean, I respect dissent, but for public health and for business, if the cruise ship says only vaccinated passengers, Number one, more people take the cruise. And number two, you are knocking out most of the spread of COVID. So that's just the reality. Freeman Thurston, Woodbury, Connecticut. Bill, will you stop calling the gas price a tax? It's not a tax. Yes, it's caused by Biden's policy, but it's not a tax. If the price of lettuce goes up because of something the president said, it's not a tax. It's artificially driven. It's a tax. Now, if you want to just split hairs, Freeman, which I think you're doing, okay, but you know it's a tax. If Joe Biden hadn't attacked the oil and gas industry, the grass prices wouldn't be going up. They're going up so that those corporations can stockpile cash because they know that cars are going to be outlawed, gas-driven car and everything else. So there's stockpiling. So that's an indirect tax. Maybe I should have been more precise. Indirect tax. Linda Merrill. Um, Terrebon, Oregon. I think I'm saying that right, Linda. Bill, enjoy the no-spin news. It's honest. Now my gas last fill was $3.30 a gallon. On March 2nd, I paid $3.05. And on Memorial Day, you'll pay $3.50. And on 4th of July, maybe four. It's not going to stop. 
Jim Young, Castle Rock, Washington. Thank you, Bill, for saying out loud that the Vietnam War was not lost by the military. That meant something to me. Look, any historian who's honest, anyone knows the U.S. military actually won the actual fighting. But because it was so screwed up by politicians that we fought to a stalemate as far as a treaty was concerned. The North Vietnamese could not take over South Vietnam because of us. Viet Cong we wiped out early on in the conflict. Okay? Once we left, they violated the treaty and it was over. But there's no way that any responsible historian could say the U.S. military lost the Vietnam War. Ivy Jean Sky Eagle, Arlington, Texas. So where is the Durham report? Sadly, I trusted Bill Barr. So did I. So did I. It was a sham. Maybe Mr. Barr will come on this program and explain it. Actually, we'll put a call into him. We'll put a call into William Barr. He's not going to come on. But I, I am very disappointed. Forrest, my employer gifted me a premium membership. Tell him thank you, Forrest. I love the honest, no-sense aspect of the no-spin news. The only news I watch, I'm concerned about the potential mileage tax. I'm wondering if there will be an exception for those who use their vehicles for it. It's not going to get passed. They're not going to have a mileage tax. All right? The outrage would be so bad that even the Democrats aren't going to do it. But they want to. Claude. Love the Nosman News. Why I subscribe to BillOReilly.com. Your stories are gold. Thanks for truthful information. Keep it coming. We will. Okay. If you need direct access to me, and I am very pleased to help thousands of you with problems you may have, I think we give the best advice around. That's concierge membership on BillOReilly.com. Check it out. That's worth its weight in gold. I'll tell you. Um, if you pre-order Killing the Mob out May 4th, you get 50% off Killing Crazy Horse. Word of the day, do not be callow, C-A-L-L-O-W. Okay, so here is the final thought of the day. PBS uh, did a uh, trace of my ancestry in their Finding Your Roots program, and I thank um, Henry Louis Gates for doing it. It was a great show, and I learned so much about my family. So I've got some pictures um, about it. The first one is uh, my ancestor on my mother's side, Simon Hoyt. 1628, Simon Hoyt started Charlestown, Massachusetts, north of Boston. Can you believe it? His name is on the charter to this day. That's where Bunker Hill is, Charlestown. I lived in Boston for many years, working class town. My ancestor started it. All right, the next one is the USS, I'm uh, sorry, the SS Arizona here. That's the boat that my father's ancestors came over from Ireland. They lost their land in the famine in a brutal situation. Two twin boys, 16 years old, on that ship arriving in Brooklyn by themselves. So what happened? Well, my family in County Cabin had two acres of land. Famine hit, they couldn't pay the tax to the British Crown. The Brits seized the land, threw the O'Reillys off. The father had a heart attack. The mother couldn't feed the kids, had to put the kids on the coffin ship. They threw bodies over the side into the Atlantic for passage to Brooklyn. We found, or PBS found, 
the actual newspaper account of the O'Reilly's being thrown off the land. It said the scene was heartrending in the extreme. Manhood was stripped of means and left to pine and want and misery. The women might be seen worn to skeletons with the clammy dew of death on their emaciated brows. Where peace and plenty might be seen a few years ago, nothing now remains but a howling wilderness, some ill of fever at the time were taken from their bed of sickness and laid in a ditch. All right, so my family was wiped out by the famine and the British crown. I never in my entire life heard my family, all right, paint themselves as victims, ask for reparations from the British crown, demand any kind of compensation from anyone else, ever. And I don't know of a worse circumstance than the British crown seizing the farm, leading to the father's death. The mother has to give up her sons because she couldn't feed them. They come to America knowing no one. That's how my family started here. All right. Now, I will tell you, my family has a damn strong grievance complaint, but I never heard it. And I don't do it. We earned our way here in America. We succeeded. All right. We did it through hard work, perseverance, and a belief in the United States. We don't want reparations. We don't want grievance. We don't want to whine. It happened. Not only happened to us, it happened to billions of other people all over the world. We acknowledge African-Americans got it worse than anyone. But our philosophy is you work hard, you develop your talent, and you will succeed in America no matter what your skin color is. And I believe that.